The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back, everybody, to another Basement Binge episode. I'm very, very, very excited about this. You're probably excited about it. You clicked on the episode title. You know what it is. Man, Black Widow. Yeah, and if you're new here, welcome to The Basement Binge. Thank you so much for downloading this episode and listening to it. The Basement Binge, where we binge movies and we try to make them meaningful. And this is so fun to return to something that is so near and dear to me, especially here at The Basement Binge. Black Widow, obviously the 24th film in the MCU. If you know anything about The Basement Binge, it primarily started as a binge through of the entire MCU. Like that's really what got us going. That was our bread and butter when I started with my two friends. And here we are almost two years later coming back full circle to it. Obviously this isn't the only thing that I review now, but it there's something special about sitting down to record an episode about an MCU film because this really was like everything. Um, super exciting. Anyway, thank you so much for being here. Let's get into it with the very first segment, Two Cents. So this is all going to be spoiler-free. I'm going to have some spoiler discussion at the end, but I'll definitely let you know. The Two Cents is a segment traditionally on the podcast where within two minutes, I try to express my knee-jerk spoiler-free reaction to the film. Because this is a newer film, the Two Cents is going to be more like a 10 cents. It's going to be much longer, but it will still be completely spoiler-free. Let's get into it here. And I want to say by setting proper expectations about why I go and see this film. It's currently Tuesday the 13th. I went and saw this on Friday, what was that, the 9th? Yeah, Friday the 9th, the day it came out. I bought tickets pretty much as soon as they were available. I went and saw an opening night. I went with my wife and my siblings, my brother's girlfriend. It was super fun. We were all looking forward to it. I was looking forward to it for weeks. The day of, I was super stoked. I couldn't believe that I was finally going to see Black Widow. These MCU films are something that I really, really enjoy. And I go to see them, and I continue to re-watch them and watch them because I'm invested, obviously. But I, but I go, I watch these movies to be entertained and to be engaged with fun characters that I'm interested in. Like, that's it. And like all other previous Marvel movies, Black Widow delivers on that completely. Without a doubt, I was entertained and I was invested in fun characters. Natasha Romanoff has always been a fun character, and Scarlett Johansson continues to bring that character to life in all the ways that we love. Beyond that, the supporting cast members all have great chemistry with her and with each other. They're a great addition to her, her film, and also the MCU as a whole. Uh, specifically, I want to mention Florence Pugh as Yelena and David Harbour as Alexi. They were super engaging, very, very entertaining. They were hilarious. Their chemistry together, particularly Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh as Yelena and Scarlett Johansson, have this amazing on-screen chemistry together. They really carried the film in its entirety. There's chemistry together as a family, as partners, as action heroes is all fantastic, and it genuinely is really funny. I was laughing a lot. I keep laughing about some of the jokes. The comedy really, really lands here, which I was not expecting at all. Additionally, Florence Pugh plays this, I mean, you've seen the trailer, so this isn't spoilers, but she plays this gritty spy so well. Uh, you know, you've seen her in interviews. You can look with her. She's really dolled up. She looks really pretty, and there's nothing wrong with that. In Little Women, she plays this really whiny, 
petty younger sister in a way. But here she has this grit and this intensity that just makes her a total boss. And just great range from Florence Pugh, and it's super duper fun. And I am no different than anyone else. I am so surprised by how instantly this character is a favorite already on YouTube. There's tons of fan edits talking about how fun she is. And I was kind of surprised what's happening. I was like, oh yeah, the movie's on Disney Plus, so people have it at home, whatever. It's just great to see that so many people are latching onto her character so soon. And it's completely understandable why she's really, really fun, particularly in her relationship to Natasha. Great there. Some other positives I have is that the action is very well done, and I really enjoy the fight choreography. It felt natural to the characters and was filmed very well. It wasn't just chopped to complete shreds. Other things, the binge points, if you're familiar with the basement binge, just Easter eggs, details, fun things that are a part of binging a series within a universe that we love. Those were all super fun. We get insights into Natasha and Budapest and what that means to her and why Clint means something to her, and it's done very sincerely and genuinely. You know, there's other things like specific costuming or specific comments that are a callback to films we already have fallen in love with and those things that have always been a part of the MCU that it is one of the reasons it's a segment of the Basement Binge binge points is because it was so key to how we enjoy these Marvel movies that were really the foundation of this podcast. They're all here. Obviously, I didn't get them all, but they're all super fun. We'll get to that in the later segment, Binge Points. Obviously, duh, but... They, they are here, and they are fun. Additionally, like all Marvel sequels, whatever you want to call them, the continuation here, the characters being added to this universe are just amazing. And both Scarlett Johansson and Natasha Romanoff have deserved the success that this film is having. And, and quickly to speak on the success here as part of the two cents, and then I'll kind of jump back to what I was saying, I want to talk about both the critical and commercial response that this film has been having and jump back to two cents so as far as like a critical response goes i don't want to say that i'm impressed but i'm impressed it's currently sitting at an 80 percent on rotten tomatoes say what you will about that it's just a common thing to get it with a critic's consensus of and i quote black widow's deeper themes are drowned out in all the action but it remains a solidly entertaining standalone adventure that's rounded out by stellar supporting cast okay whoever writes those you do a phenomenal job at summering the ideas of so many people in one short sentence. Seriously, that's incredible. Okay, anyway, so 80% from the critics, the audience is having it sit currently as of the time of recording, I checked at a 92% with the audience summary of Black Widow serves up another savory helping of the blockbuster Marvel formula with a fun family dynamic adding extra character development in the midst of all the action. Pretty much the same ideas, but rephrased again very well. Uh, both of those numbers seem high to me. Maybe it's just because people are stoked to be back at the movies, and maybe I'm kind of hinting at how I feel about the film. Uh, not, like, overly high, like, totally obnoxious high, but just higher than I would have thought. You know, I would have thought, like, maybe in the 70s. Uh, over on Letterboxd, it's similar to that. It's currently sitting at a... Excuse me, not Letterboxd. IMDb. It's sitting at a 7.3 out of 10. On Letterboxd, it's sitting at a 3.5 out of 5. Financially, this film has been really performing extremely well. In the box office, it had an $80 million opening just here in the U.S. alone within its weekend. It's currently sitting at $165 million worldwide, and it's only been a few days. It's really approaching the other behemoths of the box office, and this is going to be a number one hit. People are going to continue to see this movie. In addition to that, it also made $60 million on Disney+. Plus. Now, if you've listened to any of the monthly updates that I had finding out information about streaming and streaming revenue is difficult. But I can say confidently that it was a $60 million revenue income on Disney Plus because Disney was so excited about how well it did on their streamer, they couldn't wait to send out email reports to all these reporters so that they could report on their success. It was such a big deal that Disney had to celebrate it by publishing a bunch of press about it. $60 million on Disney Plus is no joke. That's crazy. To compare it to, as far as like box office success goes, the Fast 9 saga, um, or F9, the Fast saga, whatever you want to call it, in its opening weekend made $70 million domestically, A Quiet Place Part 2, which was released kind of the beginning of this new theater experience that's happening, made $47 million domestically, and then Cruella, which had a similar, you know, Premier Access Disney Plus release, only made $20 million in the opening. So clearly, 
this film financially is raking in the dough and it has a good critical response and, you know, more power to it. Because there are things about this that are genuinely engaging and complaints that I will get into in just a moment aside, I was excited to go see this movie. I have no regrets about going to see it. I wanted to be entertained. I wanted to be engaged in characters and I wanted to laugh. I want to had, I want to had, I wanted to have a good time with my friends and family. And that's what I did. And talking to Matt and Rob from Matt Goes to the Movies and other individuals who have seen it, that's been the consensus is that it, it was a fun Marvel formula film to watch about a character we all love. And then here's some complaints to kind of tag onto that sentence, varying by the individual. For the most part, it's been a great time. And I agree with that. So to keep it well-rounded, let's get into the complaints here. And we'll just get into them. I'm going to say my wrap-up thoughts for the end. Some quick-hitting complaints here. Consistently bad CGI. That's something that I really don't like about Marvel films, and it's getting on my nerves more and more, is the overuse of CGI and how plasticky it looks. I mean, there's some amazing CGI, and obviously a lot of people won't notice, but it's getting on my nerves more and more. Things in the story resolve too quickly and neatly. Character motivations change way too quickly just when it's convenient to the story. The action scenes start really well, and when they are happening, I do like them, but they just end mostly by some outside force interfering instead of someone winning, so to speak, if you will, which works sometimes. There's no, I don't have a problem with that, but when it's happening all the time, it makes the whole film just an act of happenstance instead of any type of character influence on what's going on, and it loses a little bit of its power, its oomph, and a lot of the urgency because it just makes everything just according to the winds of fate, waiting for the next explosion or whatever it may be to interrupt this fight before anyone actually gains the upper hand. Now, one last quick hitting complaint here. Getting a backstory for Natasha is great. It's about time she deserved it, but that statement that it's about time is what really drags it down. It feels really pointless at this point. It's nice. It's touching. This should have been released a lot sooner. And I'm not talking about delays due by COVID. That definitely didn't help either. But within the MCU saga, the timeline, this was something that we needed before Endgame, not after. And I just don't know why the decision was made this way. Obviously, there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that I probably don't understand. But as nice as it is, it just feels a little bit pointless. So let's get into the more heavier complaints that are as quick hitting. And really the most of the complaints come story-wise. I was entertained and I was engaged in the characters, but everything happening around that was not at all what I was expected. I was engaged in it. I was entertained, but after it was all over and I was walking out, yeah, I had a good time, but it really felt forgettable. Outside of these great new characters and the humor, which again, I can talk positively about so much, Outside of that, the entire thing felt forgettable. Particularly the third act, which is where the long-term memory of a film is made, if you will, really fell apart for me. And it just fell into this big CGI action explosion that just wraps up way too neatly. And, and that's what these Marvel movies do. This is what they are. That's pretty much the formula. But this one doesn't feel like it's going to last in any way. There's a bunch of third act CGI action set piece explosions that nicely wrap up in time for a quick conclusion into the MCU. It's the formula that has worked, and it's here as well. But it's so easy to move on from and forget, and that's not a good thing. So, for example, to compare some other MCU films, Iron Man 2 versus Iron Man 3. I mean, say what you will, this is also all of what I'm about to say. Completely comes down to personal preference, but I'm just trying to present a point here. Iron Man 2 has this amazing accent piece where... Iron Man begins to trust people outside of himself. He develops a stronger relationship with Rhodey. Rhodey gets his suit. There's a sweet action set piece with all these drones and this little uh, garden thing. It's one of my favorite scenes in all of the MCU. Iron Man 3, just all the suits explode, and it's like, okay, that was a bit over the top. Moving on to the next thing, uh, you know, Thor. Thor Dark World versus Thor Ragnarok. Both big CGI action set pieces, characters coming together and growing. And one of them is Thor Dark World, and the other one is Thor Ragnarok. Need I say more? And here, I'm going to compare it to Captain Marvel because that's all I have to compare to. And this is actually very similar. You know, they definitely shared notes in class. 
this film just doesn't have the same lasting impact that anything in Captain Marvel did for me. Again, this comes down to personal preference. I'm going to talk about Captain Marvel more in a second. I know that that varies widely among fan opinion. I fall on the positive side of it, the extremely positive side of it. I know Rob listening to this is, you know, rolling in his grave, if you will. (laughs) Too bad he's not here to ruin it. Either way, I just felt like the conclusion was just like this big thing that went nowhere in a hurry. It, It didn't have much urgency, and it just ended in an explosion that wrapped up nicely. Really, the reason for that is that the story is just a constant run from the Taskmaster or the Red Room, right? Just this big bad guy that Natasha has. We've seen the trailers. Taskmaster looks sweet. And we've seen Natasha on the run. And that's really what it is. Taskmaster or the Red Room, whoever you want to say, randomly and conveniently shows up whenever the plot needs another explosion. That's really it. The story does feel self-contained in a really positive way. And I think it's really supposed to set the tone for the MCU in Phase 4. It's sad that COVID messed up that entire thing. But I'm going to talk about it more in a second. Anyway, it, it just it feels a little bit too self-contained. Like, they didn't want these events to bleed over too much into other things. And the continuity of all is a little bit lacking. It was completely fun in the moment. But trying to connect it too much is a bit of a stretch. And I, and I will say, I want to speak here that... I, I personally need to remind myself that this complaint I just addressed is always how the MCU has been. Really, outside of Infinity War and Endgame, all of the stories have been self-contained with small, thin crossing over having small effects on one another, right? Obviously, things like the blip, for example, that affects all the future films. But smaller things like Cap and Steve not talking because of Civil War leads to a weakness in Infinity War. Um, I said Cap and Steve. I meant Cap and Iron Man. Excuse me. You know, Thor being in space all the time, doing his own thing and kind of missing, that's there, right? It's not some like big overarching, the big bad guy from Thor Ragnarok shows up in Civil War or vice versa, right? It's just small character beats, right? Steve and Bucky being really great friends. Those type of things. It's very minimal. It is impactful, but it's minimal. And these things aren't sequels to one another. They're more just sharing existence in a neighborly way where sometimes you blow your leaves into the other neighbor's gutter and that messes with them. It, it really is like reading a comic. If you're familiar with reading comics, if you're familiar with a big monthly or quarterly or even yearly crossover events, this is what it's like. You read your Spider-Man line. You read your... X-Men line, you read your Fantastic Four line, you know, pick your character, they're having their experiences. Every once in a while, a character from a different line is going to show up. Every once in a while, they're going to interact. But for the most part, those events aren't going to lead over until it gets to crossover time, and then everybody gets together, the crossover finishes, and then they go their separate ways, and they go back to their own experiences. It works. It's a formula that has worked for this genre of entertainment, be it paper comics or comic book movies and i want to touch on this more at the end with spoilers but i just need to say it here without spoilers i've been having a hard time with the mcu lately for this reason it's really been on my mind because of the disney plus shows and part of that also is having so much time because of the delays with covid and how the production and release schedule totally was shuffled around where we had lots of time knowing what was coming and knowing how the things connects, all the teases and marketing to make Disney Plus feel like an important and substantial part of the MCU, we all generated these ideas. We had a lot of time to come up with ideas without any actual content to regulate those ideas in our head, and they just went wild. So when the content came, it didn't match the ideas in our head, and there's no way that it could have. It has never been this super complex, connected thing with the big baddie showing up instantly. It's been a slow build with the individual films and stories being about the person and making them a part of that universe to show up as needed. That's it. Honestly, take a look at the MCU and tell me how The Winter Soldier, for example, Captain America, The Winter Soldier, the second film, as amazing as it is, as much as I love it, 
has any lasting effect on the MCU beyond Steve and Bucky's relationship and Steve and Sam's relationship. Nothing else is as substantial. Yeah, there's some smaller beats with Sharon Carter. There's some smaller beats with S.H.I.E.L.D. falling apart. But S.H.I.E.L.D. falling apart really doesn't do anything. It really doesn't even do anything for Nick Fury except for kind of shuffle him off to the side to have Iron Man take the leadership role. You know, it's very, very small changes. It wasn't that, oh, Hydra was the enemy in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So now the Avengers are going to go fight Hydra. No. The Hydra was the enemy in Captain America, the Winter Soldier. So Hydra was how Age of Ultron started at the beginning, but then it became about Ultron, right? You get what I'm saying? You see where I'm going? Another example, Civil War really only gives us room to have Wakanda, to have Spider-Man, and to split up the crew to make Infinity War become a loss. And it sends Bucky to Wakanda. All of those things are fantastic. I'm so glad that all of those happened and they all needed for the expansion of the universe, but not so much for the progression of the timeline. Some things were, most of it was an expansion of the universe. And I'm glad they happened, but the continuity isn't as tight as I think so many of us, maybe just me, have made it out to be. And I'm only saying this so that I can enjoy these projects for what they are and what they have been more. I know I'm not the only one, but I think a lot of the backlash for WandaVision, for example, or even the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, yeah, there's some things about that we could talk about specifically how they didn't work. But for the whole, I think the most part was that we were wanting the multiverse to erupt from WandaVision. I mean, Thanos didn't show up in Iron Man 1. Why are we expecting these things to happen? I don't know. I'm getting ahead of myself. I want to talk about this at the end. But I just, when you're enjoying an MCU film, whether it's Black Widow or Loki or anything else, just remember what it is. This isn't the buildup to the team-up. This is Natasha and her story. The Eternals is going to be the Eternals and their story. Shang-Chi, you know, that's going to be their story. Doctor Strange is going to be his story. And maybe there's a little bleed over from what happens in WandaVision or what happens here and what happens there. But for the most part, they're going to mix together when it's crossover time. And then they're going to go back. That's how it works. Wow, that was a lot. Did I even give a consistent conclusion to my two cents about this film? Let me do it here. Black Widow was great to watch in theaters. I loved being back in the theater, and I loved watching this comfortable, routine movie experience with people who go in knowing what they're going to get. They're going to get an action superhero movie with characters we know, and there's going to be some new ones that are fun, and we're going to be entertained. And it delivered on that 110%, no complaints whatsoever. And that's the way it should be. And it was fun. And I've got some complaints with the story, and it feels a bit forgettable. It feels totally unnecessary. But hey, I like hanging out with these people, so I'll hang out with them, even if it's not really substantial. So I enjoyed it. Don't regret it at all. That is the conclusion of The Two Cents. Should you yourself go see this movie? If you like Marvel movies, you're going to like this. If you don't, this isn't going to be the one to convince you. And if you're unsure about the Marvel movies, right? You've been enjoying them. Maybe you're kind of tiring out. I think this is going to be a big deciding factor because I really believe this was intended to set the tone for Phase 4. That's why it's first. You know, who knows what Eternals is going to be like? I'm just... I mean, I'm holding out amazing hope for that and high expectations, but this is a good decider if you do. So let's move on from two cents. Quick announcement. If you are enjoying this episode, please go to podchaser.com slash the basement binge. Also in the top of the show notes, please, re- please leave a review on this episode. It doesn't even have to be a five-star review. Obviously, I would appreciate a five-star review, but any review at all is welcome. I just want to know how you listeners are enjoying or not enjoying these episodes so I can make more of what you like. It's for you. Also, it's for me because it kind of validates what I'm doing. Additionally, it just helps people find out the show. Now, why Podchaser? Real briefly, it's because Podchaser is amazing. It's like the IMDb of podcasting. It's not just for the Basin Binge, but for all podcasts where you can leave reviews. Additionally, you have the ability to leave reviews on individual episodes, not just the show as a whole. You know, more specific feedback. Additionally, it's in one uniform place where I can find it because the world of podcasting is a mess. You could review something where I never see it. So if you want 
to give me some input, you can definitely send me an email, which is also linked in the show notes, bingebasement at gmail.com, or leave a review on Podchaser. I will reply to both, and I would appreciate both. Additionally, if you leave a review on Podchaser, you'll be entered for a chance for a free screen pass every month, which will start at the end of this month. So free screen pass, which is just through Movies Anywhere here in the U.S., I can give you a chance to rent, so to speak, one of my movies in my collection for free. Small way that I am capable of to give back for your time, leaving a review. Once again, Pod Chaser, you know, like chasing something. So that's P-O-D-C-H-A-S-E-R.com slash The Basement Binge, also linked in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for leaving a review. On to the next segment, Pick Your Poison. This is The Basement Binge rating scale that we made up when starting that all revolves around how we would interact with the film after watching this first time. Bottom of the list, never watch it again. Above that, stream it. On a service you're already subscribed to, looking for something to watch, and it would fill the gap for you. Above that, rent it. Be willing to pay a few bucks when the time is right. Above that, buy it. Top of the list, own it. Pay full price. Watch as much as you want. Black Widow, where does it fall for me? And it is a stream on Disney+, Plus, but not for the reason of like, oh, I would only watch it if it was just filling a hole. And I have to say, for the most part, the beginning of the podcast, I always, everything was a buy for Pick Your Poison because I'm huge into buying movies, particularly Blu-rays, physical media. It's a big hobby for me. I love movies. I like buying them, particularly collections like the MCU, all the Star Wars movies, the Indiana Jones movies, Steven Spielberg movies, Studio Ghibli movies, whatever, right? If there's a collection of films, I've got to own them all, even if there's one particular one I'm not particularly excited about. But as I get more movies, as I watch more movies, I want less and less collections, right? Pieces to complete a collection, and more a collection of a bunch of individual things that I really enjoy, if that makes sense. Part of that is just my interest and taste evolving. Also, part of it is the financial side of it. Buying movies is not cheap. And as much as I enjoyed Black Widow, as much as I would watch it again in the right circumstances, in the right company, $30 for that is a lot, especially when it's already on Disney+. Plus. Like, why spend the $30 when I don't need to? And that's just like a totally different topic about streaming entirely. So I'm getting into the weeds to bring it back to Pick Your Poison. Somewhere between a stream and a rent, I would watch this again under the right circumstances. You know, I have no objections to it, but for the most part, it's not one in the MCU that I'm going to be really keen to revisiting. I would never have a problem with revisiting it, but it's not going to be through my own efforts. It'd have to be with a group of other people. But watching it the first time, totally recommend. Like, it's not one of those that's like, oh, why did I waste my time on that? It didn't feel like a waste of time at all. It's just the rewatchability of it isn't as strong for me, but the initial watchability, you know, strong. They're lifting weights there. Anyway, <laughs> that was a dumb analogy. On to the next segment, Live Up. This is where I talk about, with it being a new film, what my expectations were for the film and if it lived up to them. Obviously, that's where it gets the name. And the expectations I had for this mostly were based off of Captain Marvel, and maybe that was unfair, but hear me out. Uh, this doesn't feel anything like Captain Marvel, just to begin with. But Captain Marvel, maybe should just flip places with this. I'm not sure. Either way, Captain Marvel, again, has a total mixed bag when it comes to fan rating. But for me, it's fantastic. I love it. When I saw it in theaters for the first time forever ago, when was that, 2018? You know, it was very, very similar to this where it was just like, man, that was like super fun. And I remember having like a great time and really, really loving it. Like not just like, oh yeah, that was fun, but like that was a blast. And then just kind of like moving on from it and not really having any solid opinion about it until I revisited for the basement binge. And since then I've rewatched it multiple times because I just, I love it. It's super fun. It's way entertaining. The characters are some of my favorite. The relationship between Carol Danvers and Nick Fury is a blast. Uh, Kara Danvers is a really interesting and fun character, and the emotion behind her is really engaging. I love how the story evolves on emotion for her, while also just being like a necessary and super great and fulfilling and fun blast of just feminine power. And that part of it, particularly that last part, the blast of feminine power, is what I was expecting from Black 
widow because like it's about time that the character of Natasha got that. And it definitely feels like that is what Disney was holding out this film to be was like the big blockbuster of like the first main female character in the MCU getting her own thing. So I was expecting Black Widow to do something similar where it was engaging like Marvel films have been. It had fun characters like it has and it did both of those things. But the emotion of the characters and like the blast of feminine power is where it falls off to me. And it's a rehash of what we already know for the character of Natasha. So any depth of emotion feels soft and a little bit forceful. It's not interesting or engaging. It's just there. And the feminine power definitely is there, and it just isn't blasting. Now, I'm still kind of teetering on this point because it's both good and bad to me. It's good in that the feminine power, if you want to keep calling it that, is just there as part of these characters without being the defining feature of the character and their journey and the story. Like, it's just something that's a part of who they are. And that feels a lot more natural. That feels like way better characterization that I have so many things to say about, not just about femininity or anything about that, but just with these hot topics that we have in representation in film, I prefer that being just a, like a genuine, natural part of the character, like it is for most people, and not like the sole feature of that character. Like, although I'm not a girl, I'm not, you know, this minority that's suddenly reaching representation, like me being a guy is not the only thing that makes me who I am. It's like one fraction of it. And so anyway, I'm getting, I'm getting in the weeds here. My goodness. Anyway, so I'm teetering in that. I really like that. It's more natural, that it's more authentic and not like blast through a megaphone. The only part of the film, but it also lacks the oomph. The forcefulness of Captain Marvel is one of the reasons that I like it not because it's the only defining feature of Captain Marvel. It's one of them, and it's a key part of her, and it's, it's forceful, and it fits her. And I'm going back to teeting her again because that's never how Natasha was. She was never forceful like that. I don't know. So clearly I'm torn on this. I don't have too much to say about it. Besides, it was an idea in my mind that it just feels like it's lacking the same, like, oomph that Captain Marvel really had for me. And I'm not saying that the the idea behind femininity power excuse me the idea behind feminine power has to be really forceful that's not what i'm saying it's just that for whatever reason this sadly i walked away from really readily to forget now you can say that i did the same thing with captain marvel but i was excited to revisit captain marvel when it came to the basement binge like i was looking forward to watching it again because i remember having such a good time with it and i was excited to have my opinion formed about it particularly because at the time it was you know, so hot and cold with so many people. Where here, the idea of revisiting this is just like, eh, don't really need to. Uh, because what I've wanted from Natasha and Black Widow, I've already got. And this, again, just kind of feels unnecessary. And I, I don't think it has anything to do with how this film is made or the story of it. And I think it just has to do with where the character fits within the timeline of my brain and that this just feels a little bit unnecessary. Other complaint here is that in the way that it failed to live up to my expectation is that, well, before I say that, let me say, let me clearly say it lived up 100% to my expectations of being entertaining, being engaging with the characters, and being fun. It was really funny. Totally lived up to that. It was a great time to watch. The other area where it didn't live up is Taskmaster is completely wasted. Uh, there's some complaints that I've heard, you may have heard them, that I don't want to address without spoilers. So I'm not going to say anything besides those complaints, if you know what I'm talking about, don't, I don't have a problem with. I'll, I'll get to them when we get to the spoilers to be more specific, but I don't have a problem with them. What I do have is that Taskmaster is just like so minimal here. Taskmaster is one of the coolest and scariest, most intimidating villains that the MCU could have. And Taskmaster is just present to blow stuff up and create short action, action sequences. Everything behind the interest that Taskmaster's power and abilities and motivation and, and purpose is just completely lacking. Taskmaster is there to fight people and cause explosions and to get a character from point A to point B. And there's nothing about Taskmaster that feels like anything of character besides being a plot device. So 
Now, of course, noticing and guessing where specific moves come to the Taskmaster's moving is fun because, you know, that's just a gimme. When you love the MCU, when you love these characters, you want to know how did Taskmaster learn that, whatever fighting thing it is. When you recognize a move of someone else's like, hey, that's from Black Panther or that's from Hawkeye or that's from uh, uh, the Winter Soldier or whatever. That's fun, but that's just a gimme. So yeah, Taskmaster, total fail. Okay, moving on to the next segment. I'm getting riled up here, so I'm kind of moving through these segments quickly or else I'll really get into the weeds, which I've already been doing a bunch. So this is where, if you don't want things spoiled, it's time to pause. If you haven't seen the film or if you just don't want to hear the spoilers or whatever, this is where to pause, go watch the film, and then come back and let's get into the spoilers. If you've already seen it, let's just keep going. The next segment would be binge points, the Easter eggs, details, those types of things. We're about to do that, but I just want to talk about Live Up, particularly Taskmaster with the spoilers. Okay, so once again, spoiler warning, Taskmaster being a girl, I have no problem with. Taskmaster being redeemed at the end of the film, I also don't have a problem with. It just shouldn't been, it just should not have been at the end of this film. It should have been after three, four, or five films with Taskmaster where that person felt like a character and not just not just like a copy and paste of comic knowledge character, right? Like that, if I didn't know anything about Taskmaster outside of this movie, what a boring villain. What a boring character. It's what I wanted out of Taskmaster that makes the small parts of her engaging. I've got no problem with her being a girl. I, it's sweet. That's awesome. I th- I'm all for that stuff. Literally didn't even think about it in the movie besides, oh, she's a girl. But there was nothing about Taskmaster that was like, why is Taskmaster doing this besides just, you know, brainwash, brain manipulation? How lame. For such a cool character of Taskmaster that literally takes down the Avengers multiple times in other Marvel content. What a waste. Anyway, that's enough about that. It really bothers me if you can't tell. Binge points. Easter eggs. Details. Fun details about the film that I want to mention. This was like the heart and gold of these MCU films we did early on the podcast. Here, as it's the first time I've seen this film, and it was in theaters, I didn't catch everything. The first one, let's just jump right to it. The end credit scene with the Hydra lady, or her actual name, Valentina Allegra de Fontaine. Again, this was supposed to be the stage setter. Is that a word? the stage center, for phase four. People trying to make sense of this new avenged world with tons of power struggles and new bad people sneaking behind the scenes. And maybe Valentina Allegra de Fontaine is the big baddie that I keep saying isn't going to show up at the beginning. Maybe she is. (laughs) But she's going to have a significant part. I will say that. Either Either way, she shows up again. It's fun. Great continuation of the character since we were previously introduced to her in kind of a redone way with the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Now, what does this mean? I really think that this leads into the Hawkeye series. Florence Pugh, uh, Elena, is confirmed to be part of the Hawkeye series. And I think, well, well, first, let me say, in all the interviews of Florence Pugh, she is already great at answering these MCU theory questions in the most vague avoidance way like we've gotten used to. So good job for you, Florence. But the Hawkeye series, what I really think in my theory, which I say that I don't want to make, but I do anyway, is that she is going to obviously hunt down Clint Hawkeye while Hawkeye is training Kate Bishop. And that's going to be the conflict because, you know, training is simple. It's when someone's coming after you while you're training someone that makes it hard. And eventually, Yelena is going to team up with Kate Bishop and form the Young Avengers. Or the other idea is that she doesn't team up with Kate Bishop and Yelena teams up with U.S. Agent and they form the Thunderbolts. I That'd be f- cool, but I think Yelena is way more fun with Kate Bishop. Speaking of which, Yelena was such a blast. I, I didn't talk about it enough in Binge Points. Her character and her continual effort to try and impress Natasha, the comments that she made, just, just the jokes, 
she's like the funniest part of the entire movie. Her and David Harbour's character, the Red Guardian, you have probably killed so many people. <laughs> it, there, that humor was really fantastic. Um, so speaking of Yelena and making fun of Natasha, particularly the hilarious moment where she makes fun of her pose, which I just, I love the way Florence Pugh acts out that scene. You know, and even later when she redoes it, it that was awesome. Also, all the hair in this movie. Fantastic job to the hair and makeup team. Anyway, back to what I was saying. Yelena making fun of Natasha's pose, superhero pose, came from Florence Pugh, the actor for Yelena, making fun of Natasha's pose to Scarlett Johansson, right? So the stunt team kept telling Yelena, you got to pick a pose, you got to pick a power pose. And she's like, well, I don't know. And, and, and real innocently just kind of asked, is that pose even safe? And they were like, no, actually, you'd like totally break your knees and your back. <laughs> so she goes to Scarlett Johansson's like, hey, you realize that like you've been doing this for 10 years and you'd totally break your back if you did this? Uh, and they were just joking, going back and forth. And the writer saw this and was like, <laughs> that needs to be in the movie. So, and so it was. Additionally, can't not mention this, the great jacket from Infinity War is back. And not only is it back, but it is, is an emotional memento that Natasha got from her sister. That was fun. Um, also, we get a lot of hints to Budapest and what it means to Natasha and how her and Clint really get up to some stuff. And what it is is that they just had to survive with espionage and, and trickery and spy work because that was Natasha's effort to break away from the Red Room and join S.H.I.E.L.D. and the, not quite the Avengers yet, but S.H.I.E.L.D. And it was done genuinely, and it was done sincerely. Yeah, it would have been sweet to actually see that, but also it would have been a bit too much to see that. Some things are left undone. And just like the reverence, so to speak, that it had towards that experience she had was sweet. And, you know, just the small things that made it feel real, like it happened. So yeah, those are all the binge points I had. Like I said, didn't have many. Moving on to the second to last segment, lists and likes. Very straightforward. My least favorite scene, my favorite scene. Let's start with my least favorite because I've been talking about a lot of negatives, so I want to kind of end it on a positive. The third act is where it lost me. Them not actually being a family, and when I say them, I mean Alexi, whatever the mom's name is, uh, What's her name? Hold on. Just gonna, I got to say it. It's going to drive me nuts. Alexi, Melina, Yelena, and Natasha not being a real family was disappointing, but I was able to move on from it quickly, and it worked out fine, and I was okay with it, but by the third act, it just, like, beats you over a, the head with that, that, like, everything about what's going on is the fact that they're a dysfunctional family, where, obviously, there are family in a way. I don't know. Additionally, the reverse reveal of it, that they're not a family, how it's like a slow peel back through the entire film is sweet, but then it just gets too on the nose and too constant bludgeoning of it. And the twist that they had with Melina and Natasha switching places to have their master plan, that's a sweet idea. Like, I love that. But we should have been in on it. That would have been it made it way more tense. That would have made it such a sweet spy thriller. That would have been tense and exciting. The, this fake-out betrayal was just annoying. Like, who wants a fake betrayal? How is that fun? You know, seeing the determination in Natasha to sever the nerve would have been way more intense than just trying to make assumptions about why the heck she's letting this dude punch her in the face. Like, obviously, you're making conclusions on your own as you're watching, but it would have been so much more intense and and. A, thriller like of like a spy movie if we knew what had to be done and we were on our edge of the seat hoping that it could be done that she could be successful instead of just trying to figure out what the heck is she doing i just think it would have worked better as not like a twist um then beyond that it just becomes a meaningless cgi mess that all nicely and cleanly wraps itself up to have people put back at the right place where we started with nothing new except for characters being sent off into the MCU. Like, like if that's it, the timing of it being a mequel, if you will, a mid-sequel, doesn't help at all, right? The fact that Natasha's got to get back to Infinity War, so obviously she can't be messing around with Ross 
and she can't be with her new family. So they got to split up and her new family can't get involved. So they got to go into hiding. Like, you know, it's just like, okay, let's just tie it up with a bow real quickly. Just with a stupid two weeks later. Like, how did she deal with Ross? Don't you think that some of us would have been interested in that? Not just a two week later cut? Whatever. Let's move on. Let's talk about something positive. The light. Because that really is what the basement binge is about, is making these things meaningful, making them fun. But, you know, with these new films, you never know what you're going to get. I'm not thinking about the film in advance. You know, whatever. Behind the scenes podcast stuff aside, my favorite part of the movie is the characters. I was sold that this group of crazy people were actually a family, a dysfunctional family, but family nonetheless. And family or not, these characters were interesting and very fun to watch together. It wasn't one character on their own that made it. It was them together. When we get David Harbour's character, Alexi or the Red Guardian, in prison, I couldn't wait for him to get out to be with Natasha and Yelena. Like, that was the fun part. And, and the subtlety at the start of the film was great. And it eventually was lost, like, completely. But the engagement I had in the fun and the humor of the characters, the, the idiosyncrasies of them, and almost the stupidity of them, and just like the lightheartedness of the humor, I never lost the engagement in that. So, additionally, the first act with the globe trotting and winding up of all the characters together was the best part of the film for me. I really, really enjoyed that, and it sadly just kind of fizzled out from there. So that's my favorite part. Definitely the characters without about. Yelena, Alexi, they've got to be a part of the MCU much longer. David Harbour and Florence Pugh are just great to watch, and Florence Pugh with Scarlett Johansson, they have just incredible chemistry, and even with Scarlett Johansson missing, I would love to see Florence Pugh with David Harbour more because... Their chemistry together was also hilarious. Okay, this has been a long episode. Let's get on to the last segment here, Fall In. This is where The Basement Binge tries to make movies meaningful. And Black Widow, the film, what it has to do is really understanding what motivates Natasha to do what she does and sacrificing herself in Endgame. That's really the theme and the heart of that. It's amazing to see, but it also really isn't there, sadly. And I really genuinely spent a lot of time trying to write something down for the fall in, but all I had was that one sentence, that the the themes, the ideas is to understand why someone would be willing to do that. But it's just not there. And if I have to force it for the segment, this is what I'll say. Natasha's motivations for all she did in Infinity War and Endgame were sealed by all that she learned here. If she wasn't to the point where she would have done that, this is what got her here. That people and those we love, no matter how messy, are worth fighting for. And that's what she did. She gave herself for people she loved. And it took a little bit of breaking down for her to be willing to admit that she really does love people, Avengers or crazy Russians, doesn't matter. But that's really pushing it for the segment. You know, there were moments where they really tried to make Natasha's character care about other people. You know, she cares about these other widows. She cares about Taskmaster. And it just felt really, really forced and not really part of the character. Additionally, when Alexi, David Harbour's character, really turns at the end of the film to accepting their family beyond just his own personal gloating, happened way too fast. So a lot of it just feels forced for this segment so with that in mind to pull from the notes of the fast and furious episodes which you should check out if you enjoy those films let's kind of adjust this to franchise inquiry this is where we kind of talk about how this film affects and lands within the franchise and how it's going to work moving forward and in my two cents i talked about this setting the tone for phase four of the mcu this topic has been on my mind tremendously because of loki If you've been listening to Matt Goes to the Movies, which is a great podcast I've been on as part of these Disney Plus shows, WandaVision, The Falcon Man, The Winter Soldier, now Loki, also linked in the show notes, or just Matt Goes to the Movies wherever you get podcasts. I've been thinking about these shows 
and and if you've listened to those episodes on Matt Goes to the Movies, you know I've really loved these Disney Plus MCU shows, but had to hold myself back with theories and I kind of make a rule for myself that I can't make theories because it only ever led to disappointment. And I created all these ideas that things were going to connect to so tightly. The Disney Plus shows were going to be a must for the MCU continuity that, that if you wanted to understand Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, you had to watch WandaVision because that's when the multiverse was going to happen and yada, 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 and Mephisto's going to show up and <clears throat> it just, it just, it gets too much. It, this just isn't the case. Yes, the MCU is changing. It's progressing. Loki and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier are completely different and they're completely new. But they're all pretty much the same thing, that they are individual experiences unique to the characters within that series or movie that we're watching within their place in the universe. A Captain America movie never happens on Asgard. Thor never really messes around with Hydra. It's not their thing. And that character conjunction happens in the crossovers where what the characters have been through has small tendencies that it creates within themselves for these big tentpole crossover events. There's small things that from those films lead into the crossovers, but for the most part, it's the crossovers that then affect the single films afterwards. Again, exactly like reading a comic. And as this whole thing expands and gets more and more intense as we're going to have the Eternals and Shang-Chi and the TVA with Loki and we're going to have the multiverse with Doctor Strange and all the other things that I'm forgetting. Whatever happens in the Spider-Man movie. As it expands and gets more and more intense, we're going to have to understand that this is an individual experience of the characters in their place in the universe where they come together when it's crossover time. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with it. More importantly than that, we also have to understand that the focus of these MCU projects so far, and what I mean by these MCU projects, I mean from Iron Man to Black Widow to the next episode of Loki, has always been focused on the characters and their growth, not the next big baddie or anything like that. Just one character making their way through life with their unique experiences, with their unique place in the universe. And people show up and they conquer evil and the day is one and then the next film happens. And there's a little bit of bleed over, but it's really not super substantial. And if you're trying to think about it too hard, this little house of cards topples over. The ending of Black Widow is perfect proof of this. Natasha, like I said earlier, has to be with Steve to have her place in Infinity War. She can't be there if she's dealing with a secretary, Ross, or hanging out with her family. So the film ends and just hints at all this nice conclusion and what could have happened and wraps itself up nicely with a simple two weeks later jump. And it totally works for the type of movie that you're watching. And I, I can't say that enough. I'm, this necessarily is not a complaint. It is just a necessary explanation of what is actually going on. Yeah, it's a bit cheap and it's a bit lazy, but it's also a result of its own existence and its own genre. Like, this is just the way things work in comic movies. People show up when it's convenient. And it works. Like, there's a reason that it works. There's a reason we've been enjoying these comics for years, for decades, and now we've been enjoying the MCU for a decade. Like, th- like this type of loose connectivity where a character shows up and it's exciting because the character's there, not because, oh, the character's there, so that means that Hydra did this or that, that at Ragnarok or whatever. Like, this big crossover event is exciting because the character that we've grown to love is there. That's what ex- is exciting. When I saw Infinity War and Captain America showed up at the beginning and saves Vision and Wanda, I was not thinking about anything except for, that's Steve Rogers, that's Captain America. Like, like it was exciting because it was a character, not because it was an impact on the timeline. You've got to have your expectations in check with these things. And I think that maybe I'm the only one here. But I've, in the consensus that I've seen people reacting to these things, it seems like this is something we all need to hear, that if we want these things to work together, we've got to stay invested in the characters and their journey, not just the next big baddie. Because Cap picking up Mjolnir in Endgame 
would not have been as meaningful and emotional as and as exciting if all of the Captain America movies were about Thanos. That moment would have meant something for Captain America if his movies were about Thanos. Sure, Thanos was the big baddie. He had to be there for that moment to happen. But also for that moment to have the impact it did, we had to have an experience consistently with Captain America and his struggle and battle for constant worthiness as an individual of Steve Rogers. Thanos showed up when it was his time to show up, and it worked, and it led to a great conclusion that was Endgame that literally made all of the money. It worked because we were invested in the characters. Iron Man and his sacrifice in Endgame meant something because of how he was an individual not willing to lay himself down on the line, as he said, as he's someone who would just cut the line. It worked because of the characters and how we're involved in them. And we will get the next big baddie eventually. And maybe it's this Van Tessa lady. But whoever it is, when we do get it, I'm sure it's going to be awesome and it's going to be done really well and it's going to be super exciting. But in the meantime, I'm just going to enjoy the messy journey that all of these characters are on that I love. And when the big action with Thanos 2.0 shows up, it's going to be amazing when a character does something that's impactful for them because of the journey they've been on, not because Thanos 2.0 is there. Be it Mjolnir or whatever else is next. So one more time for my tiny brain cells in the back still making theories about the TVA. Calm down, trust the process, and enjoy the characters. Because that is what got us here in the first place. That's what it's always been about. is about the characters and their experience and how they frequently meet together. Wow. That was rant and a half. Probably mainly just for me. I do feel better now, though. Like, I feel like, whew. And breathe like these ideas that have been stewing in my mind without substantial conclusion. I finally said it. Well, was that worth listening to? I don't know. Leave a review on Podchaser. Let me know. Am, am I way off in my idea of what's happening in pop culture in the consensus people are having to it, or am I not? I don't know. Let me know. But as a closeout for Black Widow. It was great to be back in theaters. That was a blast. I had my tickets the second they were available. I've been looking forward to this for a year now. One last thing that I miss is that the sweet trailer music that we had in the original trailer never showed up in the movie. What a disappointment. I just thought of that. Man, one more disappointment. Either way, I've been looking forward to this for a long time, and it was great to get it. I've I've got no complaints about the investment that I made in it. Financially or time-wise, it was worth watching, and I'm glad I watched it. And pff, when the uh, Eternals tickets go on sale or Spider-Man or whatever's next, pff, you bet. I'm going to get those too, and I'm going to go enjoy myself again. And then if I've got complaints, I'm totally going to express them. But at the end of the day, I enjoyed myself, and I enjoyed the characters. So there, you can't really complain too much. I just had to get all those things off my chest. So thank you so much for listening even if you completely disagree with me. I'd love to know. In your review on Podchaser, in an email, let me know what you thought. Have you been making crazy theories about the MCU or have you been invested in the characters all along? Is the MCU getting too messy? Is it not? Is it perfect? Uh, Please, please let me know. I'd love to hear. Other than that, thank you so much for listening to The Basement Binge. Thank you so much for listening to this long Black Widow episode, including my rant of a conclusion. I appreciate it. All of you, whether you're a consistent listener from day one, the very first very poorly recorded Spider-Verse episode, or maybe you jumped in halfway, or maybe you downloaded the Your Name episode, or Guardians of the Galaxy, or one of the other hot ones that I've got, which thank you for downloading those, and you're here. Thanks for being here. Thanks for giving it a try again. Or if this is your first, thank you. Subscribe to The Basement Binge. Don't mix the next episode. It's on La La Land. That's what you get for listening to the end. You get to know. Anyway, it is time to end the podcast. My name is Harrison, this is The Basement Binge, and that is all for now. Ciao, ciao. These days, work is in trouble. We've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries, and with that, we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things. American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. 
They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.